In the name of Jesus, Amen. <clears throat> Dear Saints, we have before us one of the most important exchanges in all of the Bible. <clears throat> and that's from John chapter 3. But before we get into the conversation itself, I want you to first understand who Nicodemus is and what he has in mind to begin with. So I'm going to make seven observations about Nicodemus and then get into the text itself. The first point is that Nicodemus is a very important man. Uh, he's a well-known Pharisee, and in fact, he's a member of the Sanhedrin, the, the highest religious body in Jerusalem. They were the most learned and most noble men, uh, revered by all. Nicodemus was one of those guys. He's a big shot. The second point is that he's an old man. Uh, we might have guessed that since he's a member of the Sanhedrin, which takes a lot of time and knowledge and experience to get to that place. But we also know this from verse 4. When Nicodemus says to Jesus, how can a man be born when he is old? He's talking about himself. The third point is that Nicodemus is familiar already with Jesus' teachings. He's heard him before. In fact, Nicodemus has most likely already heard Jesus and John the Baptist preaching. In verse 11, uh, we get this from verse 11. Jesus says, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Uh, some think that Jesus means he, he's talking about he and the disciples, that's the plural uh, here, or he and the Holy Spirit. But that's not it. This conversation happens the first year of Jesus' ministry while John was still alive at this point. And so the we here is jo Jesus and John, the ones who have been preaching about baptism, which is most likely why Nicodemus comes to Jesus and asks him about this conversation about baptism. So, uh, and, and in fact, uh, Nicodemus could have been one of the ones who uh, was sent to speak to John the Baptist when they went uh, out to the wilderness to confront him. We don't know this, but there's a good chance that he was at least a part of it. The point here is that Nicodemus has already heard quite a bit about Jesus and his teachings and maybe even from John the Baptist. <clears throat> the fourth point is that his conversation with Jesus is sincere. Verse 2 is significant, and it says, This man, Nicodemus, came to Jesus by night. And that's significant. If Nicodemus were simply trying to debate Jesus or trap him, then he would have confronted Jesus in the daylight in front of everybody, like the other Pharisees did throughout the Gospels. But he comes to him by night. So I take that to mean that he's truly on the fence He's sincere. He's on the fence about this, about what he knows and then what he's hearing, what he's uh, being taught. It means that he wants to have a serious uh, and, and personal conversation with Jesus. He wasn't baptized, but he is curious about it. He's wondering about it. Now, the, the fifth point is that Nicodemus believed what all the Pharisees believed, which is that he could earn his way to heaven. He believed it. He was a Pharisee. That's what they taught and believed. And th 
this point, this, this is probably the hardest thing for us to grasp here, especially as Lutherans, especially if you grew up Lutheran, most, because most of us don't think this way. And it's because most of you, if not all of you, grew up with the gospel. From infancy, your parents and teachers and pastors taught you that God loves you, that he forgives your sins, that baptism saves you. He, they taught you this thing, that, that you didn't have to fear or, or be angry at a wrathful God, but that you know that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to forgive your sins. You grew up knowing this. You knew that if you sin, there's a God who will forgive you. But Nicodemus didn't know that. He didn't know this. So today we are in a very different place. Actually, since you know the gospel so well, you actually face the opposite temptation that Nicodemus was facing. You're tempted oftentimes to minimize the law, to, uh, to dismiss sin and think nothing of it, to just sweep it under the rug, to make an excuse for your sins. And then you run the risk, you and I run the risk of saying, look, well, we're all sinners. Nobody is perfect. Just do what you want because God will forgive you. So what's the point? It doesn't really matter what the Bible says. Who cares what the Bible says about this or that thing? Just or who cares about how you've lived? It's no big deal. God will forgive it. So our temptation is to minimize then the law. But that's not at all what Nicodemus would think. He would never diminish the law. He, he would never think that way. He would never minimize the gravity of sin like we oftentimes do. He takes God's word seriously. However, the, the issue he's facing is that he's doing the opposite. We are guilty of dismissing the law, but Nicodemus is guilty of dismissing the gospel. He's heard these things in the scriptures and just writes them off as, as rituals or things to be obedient for. Uh, to see what he's going through, you, you have to imagine living your entire long life into your old age, believing honestly that the only way to be saved, the only hope you have, the only way to be saved is by actually accomplishing and fulfilling the law, the Ten Commandments. And you have to imagine, to, to put yourself in Nicodemus's shoes, you have to imagine never having heard the gospel, never having heard of the forgiveness of sins, full and free, that the only thing you know is having to be a good person, that by the work of your hands, the words of your mouth, the condition of your heart, that that is what will get you into the kingdom of heaven. It is based on those things that you will see the kingdom or not. And you need to truly think that the only hope you have of going to heaven depends upon what you do. Now, he hears Jesus saying something that contradicts all of that. Everything he has ever known, he hears Jesus say. Okay, that was the fifth point. The sixth point is that Nicodemus, because of this, is deeply frustrated with himself. Outwardly, Nicodemus is a good man. <clears throat> and everybody knows it. They have nothing bad to say about him. And he's obeyed all the rules and the rituals his entire life, even to his old age. And yet, even though everyone looks up to him and sees how good he is, he knows that he is not. 
He has worked his entire life to be a good person, but deep down inside, he knows he is still not good enough to see, to even see the kingdom of heaven. And I know this because he has gone out of his way to talk to Jesus about these things in the middle of the night. Look, if Nicodemus were satisfied and content with himself, if he truly believed he were good enough, he'd be at home sleeping right now. Uh, He'd be resting. This wouldn't be an issue for him. He'd be fine. Who cares? Yes, he's proud. He's going to make it to the kingdom of heaven. I got this. uh, I, I got this all figured out. But he can't even go to bed without his heart accusing him. Uh, You can just picture him lying awake at night thinking of the mistakes he's made, feeling the guilt of his heart, and he's thinking, look, I should have helped out that lady more today, or I should have been more patient, uh, or I should have said this or done that, things like that. Uh, He has this fear hanging over his head that he hasn't done enough. But more than that, he knows that he's not as good as he appears to be, that he looks better than he is. And that's because he knows what is going on in his heart. And he knows it's not good. Uh, What's going on here is that the Holy Spirit has afflicted Nicodemus. And he's afflicted him with honesty or reality, truth. With the reality of his sinful condition. Outwardly, he appears to have his life together and in order to be a great guy. But inwardly, he knows that he feels the lust and the deceit and the pride and the anger and the discontentment and the bitterness. He feels that coursing through his veins. And he knows that if he has any shot of going to heaven, he doesn't have to just look pure. He has to be pure. He has to accomplish it. And uh, he knows that outward actions are hollow if they're not accompanied with good and earnest internal desires. Good works need sincerity and have to be done with pure love of God, not mindlessly or for selfish motives or any other motives, but purely. Good works are only pleasing to God if they're from a good heart. So outside, Nicodemus has it all figured out, but inside, he's a disaster of blackness. It's a nightmare, his heart. And he's not good, and he knows it. Now, the seventh point is this. Nicodemus, we think, goes to Jesus mainly looking for advice. He wants Jesus to tell him what he's missing. So he wants the new technique and the method and the approach to purity. So he can just do it with whatever time he has left in this life before he dies. The days are winding down for him, and soon he's going to face his maker. He has one shot to get this right, and so that's what he's coming to Jesus. Tell me what I need to know. Tell me what I need to make right, how to fix this and figure this out before it's too late. That's what he's trying to find out. Okay, those are the seven things you need to know about Nicodemus before the conversation begins. The second half of the sermon is simply the conversation Nicodemus goes to Jesus, says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. And it sounds pious enough, but Jesus knows that Nicodemus is going to ask for advice. Uh, It's specifically about the law. And he wants to, Nicodemus wants to ease into the conversation, but Jesus cuts to the chase. It's It's as if he interrupts him and just 
changes the subject and says, look, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So it's as if uh, Jesus told him, look, Nicodemus, I know what you're trying to do. You think you can work and work and work your way into the kingdom of God, but you are wrong. And this is a dangerous thought you have. You will need a miracle from God to accomplish that. You will need to start again from the beginning. You will need to be born again. That is, you need to erase your entire past. Your entire life has to be gone. Your entire life, everything you've ever done, and you need to start over again. As if, this, as if your entire life, every movement, every thought you had didn't exist. That's, that's the only, that's the answer. And Nicodemus says, well, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Uh, at, at first, when I was younger, I used to think that Nicodemus was being snarky here. Um, I think that's part, part of it, but I think there's truth and sincerity behind this. Actually, the idea of being born again is marvelous to Nicodemus. In fact, it's probably something that you and I ourselves have yearned for. The opportunity to go back and redo it. Right? How many of us wouldn't want to have a second chance at living this life? Or do things differently the next time? Or avoid the mistakes not taking or beginning or getting hooked on drugs or the bottle or those images and videos, not to waste the money and get back the money that we foolishly wasted in this life. How many of you would do the exact opposite of what you have done in your past, looking back and change course and avoid the thing that you knew was wrong to begin with and now you're suffering the consequences for it? And you see the disaster that's followed after that. How many of us wouldn't want to go back and then redo it? So I I don't think anybody who is honest with himself can look back on his life and truly say from his heart, say, I have no regrets. And I wouldn't want to do that. So so Nicodemus is here and he says, yes, I want this, but I know it's not possible. So so now what? And, And then Jesus makes him realize he still doesn't get it. So Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Uh, Here he's talking about baptism, that's water and the spirit. But while he's teaching about this, he points out a glaring problem with what Nicodemus wants and that idea of having a second chance at life uh, that we so oftentimes think about. And Jesus says, it's as if he were saying, look, you still don't understand it. Because even if you could be born again and live this life over, yes, you would do things differently the second time around, but you would still sin in other ways. And maybe you'd even be more accountable because you should know the second time around not to do them. But now you wouldn't have those regrets, but you'd have new regrets different regrets from this life and you could be born 50 times over again and you'd still have the same problem facing you each day your sinful heart 
that each time you would be born in this life, you would be born as a poor, miserable sinner over and over and over again without the ability to get it right. No, no matter how many chances you get, you cannot solve the problem of your flesh. That's why Jesus says that which is born of flesh is flesh. And so Jesus is telling him you need something more, more than a second chance. You need something more than to try again. To put it simply, what Jesus is saying is that Nicodemus doesn't need another chance in his flesh. He needs someone to save him from his flesh. He doesn't need to try again. He needs to be born again. He needs something else entirely, something he cannot do or find in himself. So, Nicodemus then asks, how can these things be? How can that be? How can sin ever be taken away after it has been sinned? How can my past and all of my regrets and all of my failures and sins and guilt be undone? He knows sin is not some trifling matter. It doesn't go away if you ignore it. It doesn't evaporate. How can sin just go away? What can anyone do about the sins and the mistakes he's made? And then Jesus says, look, are you a teacher of Israel? And yet you don't understand these things. Which is to say, what have you spent your life thinking about? You're a teacher of the Bible. This is the beating heart, the very center of the Bible. If you don't know this, then what have you been teaching the whole time? And so even though Jesus said it before, and John the Baptist said it before, Jesus tells him again, and he says these words. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Nicodemus asked, how can these things be? And Jesus says, why do you think I'm standing in front of you right now? Do you think that I have come to give you friendly advice? If you wanted advice, I could have ripped open the heavens and given advice of the law again, if you wanted. Thundered it down from Mount Sinai, if, if you wanted. But what, that is not what I came to do. I came down from heaven only to be lifted up onto a cross to die. You cannot save yourself. You cannot live the life that you need to live in order to get into heaven. Your heart is not pure enough and it never will be. Your works aren't good enough. And that, Nicodemus, is why I am here. I am your substitute. I am your redemption. I am the atonement for your sins. I came to pray the, pay the price. I've come to erase your past to take your sins out of existence, to blot out all of your iniquities from the face of God with the blood in my veins. And I'm doing all of this so that baptism isn't just plain water, but so that you through it would have salvation and the forgiveness of all of your sins. And while Nicodemus can only think of his sin and condemnation before God, while the only thing he feels is that God hates him, that's what he knows and feels, and that's what he's been uh, conditioned to his entire life, that God is angry and displeased with him, Jesus says these beautiful words to Nicodemus into his ear, face to face. He says, Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son 
in this particular way he loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. In other words, Nicodemus, I didn't come to give you another law. I came to give you myself. I came to give you my life and my breath and my bloody sweat and tears. I came to save you from yourself. Now, one final word before closing. Nicodemus fought against this, against this teaching for a long time. Uh, He was so troubled by this, uh, but at the same time, we don't have any indication from the text that he believed what Jesus said right away that night. Uh, We don't know what happened to him. But what we do know is that in the end, these words stayed with Nicodemus, and they ended up penetrating his stubborn heart so deeply that he eventually he despaired of trying to save himself And he put his hope of salvation in Jesus alone. And we know this because one day, about three years after this conversation, that old and frail man, Nicodemus, in broad daylight, went to Jesus again. But this time, Jesus was on the cross, lifeless, covered in blood. And he looked upon Jesus and he wrapped his arms around Jesus' lifeless body, covered in his blood, and carried Jesus, his own Savior, the Son of God, to his tomb and put him to rest in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. That was Nicodemus who did that. And this means that Nicodemus was no longer afraid of what anyone else thought of him. He was no longer afraid to be seen with Jesus or have his blood on him. He was no longer afraid of God or of his sins or of his past mistakes and regrets. He was no longer afraid of the devil or his accusations. And he was no longer afraid of dying because he saw God give his only son into death to save him. Dear saints, I know that you have your regrets. And I know how much you, uh, how much you uh, uh, want to live this life over again. And I know you have sins that haunt you, that come back to mind time and time again. And when you're plagued by these thoughts, I want you to remember that the Father did not spare His only Son his only begotten son, but gave him up for us all. And that Jesus lived the life we couldn't live, even if we had a thousand lives to live. He poured his holy and precious blood to give you peace, to cover up all of your shameful, embarrassing, and humiliating sins. There was nothing you could do about your sins and your past, so Christ came to take it away. He has separated your sins from you, as far as the east is from the west, and the Holy Spirit who proceeds from the Father and the Son has washed away all of your sins in holy baptism and drowned them in the depth of the sea. You who repent of your sins and trust in Jesus to save you will see the kingdom of heaven. You've been born again and this time of God.
So all praise then to the Holy Trinity. For of him and through him and to him are all things. To whom be glory forever. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. We stand to sing the offertory. Thank mm-hmm. you.